Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, January 18, 2019, and this is the Calendars and Chicanery edition. With me today, I have legislative columnist Keith Durant. How are you, mate? I'm doing well. How are you, Emma? Just fantastic. Excellent. Mm, I like alliteration. Although, is it alliteration when they're different sounds, like calendar and chicanery? Oh, I'll have to check the uh, the rules mm. on that one. I'm not sure what my grade nine grammar teacher would say. But. <laughs> Dave Breckenridge, how you doing? I'm always up for some chicanery. <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> shenanigans is a good one. I think I used shenanigans today in... Um, in the newspaper, but we'll get to that in a moment. And my legislative colleague, Claire Clancy, how are you, mate? Good. Always good to talk about kerfuffles is another favorite. Oh, calendars mm-hmm. and kerfuffles. That would be an even better title because that's kerfuffles. Exactly. No. <laughs> we used that once already. Kerfuffle. Remember the kerfuffle? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Too bad. So we've got a few things on the go today. Um, we are, we have a spring session. Well, we don't necessarily have a spring session, but we do have a throne speech. Hooray! Uh, So we're going to talk about that and what that might mean for the timing of the election. We're also going to talk the latest in political intrigue and scandal. Kerfuffles, chicanery, if you will. Uh, We have Rick Strangman leaving, Rob Gill is mad, and the NDP has a whole bunch of troubles of their own in the form of Calgary Northeast and Eric Rosendahl. Finally, we will take a very brief look at the Privacy Commissioner and some goings-on over in that office. Let's start off with the throne speech. Clancy, you covered this this week because I was off. But <laughs> Yeah, so um, March 18th, we're going to have a throne speech. But when we're looking at the legislative calendar, what's important to note, I guess, is that the throne speech is on March 18th, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Notley will bring forward a budget, nor does it mean we'll actually have a spring session. Um, so, I mean, we'll have that day and then she could immediately call an election the next day if she wanted. A session is like included on the calendar, right. but that doesn't mean it has to happen. Yeah, exactly. Because they do mess that calendar up as much as they want, right? They'll move. Um, Constituency week sometimes yep, moves. all the time. Yeah. I know because I booked a trip once to Jordan thinking they'll have constituency week when they always have it at this point and that's what it says in the calendar and then they bloody moved it yeah just because you booked vacation probably yeah, just to spite me exactly wasn't it yeah brian mason yeah <laughs> <laughs> but we will have an election between march 1st and may 31st that's what's kind of notley has promised so i think um all bets are on i guess as to what the exact day will be now we have a pool going in the press we gallery. do yeah. mm-hmm. i think most weeks are booked up now Keith, Almost, yeah. were you surprised? Um, were you surprised with this development this week at all? A little bit. Uh, I mean, it, it had been getting to the point where you know we the guessing was still going on, right? And so, um, you know, March eighteenth was not a date that I had picked out. Uh, I think the leading theory at this point is that the election is going to come right after that, and perhaps the day after for a an April. I guess that would be an April sixteenth election day. Um, no one's booked that in the uh, in the pool, by the way. So uh, get your anyone who isn't in there yet get get your <laughs> get your votes in. If you're a member of the press gallery, yeah. listen to this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my thought is that it, that's actually a little earlier. If if in fact that's that's how it plays out, but Notley still has the option of uh, introducing a budget, uh, running with a spring session, maybe introducing some legislation like uh, conversion therapy to kind of trap the UCP. Um, we'll see what happens, but uh, anyway, most uh, a lot of the uh, the political columnists out there, my colleague Don Braid, for example, um, they're calling April sixteenth. So we'll see. I'm kind of leaning towards April sixteenth as well, not based on any educated guess, but <laughs> but I I think that it doesn't make sense now to table a budget 
I think you're getting late into the into the year already by March. I know governments table budgets well into March, but I think that <laughs> it doesn't make any sense before an election to do that. I think that uh, it doesn't make any sense to to bring in legislation. They'll have plenty of time to hammer the UCP on any number of things on the campaign trail. So uh, going through the formality of a short legislature session, I don't, I don't think makes any sense. And so we'll get uh, a throne speech. They'll outline a broad plan of what the government wants to continue being able to do. And then we'll have a writ drop and we'll go to the polls. Although we're already hearing that CC, uh, sorry, that Joe CC, the finance minister, is doing budget consultations. So, I mean, what does that play into it? Why would you bother doing budget consultations if you weren't going to do anything with them? Well, you almost have to, right? So, uh, I, as far as I understand, the public service is going through the actual motions of of putting together a budget as if it was a normal course of business, uh, which you have to do because should the NDP win again, they're going to need a budget. Mm -hmm. uh, even if they don't, yeah, even if they don't, the UCP is going to need something to build on uh, or the Alberta party should they happen to win. Um, but Freedom any, Conservative uh, Party, uh, what are you rolling about for, party, That's right. So <laughs> any party that comes in is going to need something to build on a budget. They will obviously make changes, but um, you do need some sort of record of where we are in terms of revenue, mm. uh, what the current spending is. So you, you start preparing. Uh, I think it's just normal course of business. It doesn't necessarily mean anything about that there will be a budget or a session. Yeah, fair enough. I don't even remember what dates I picked in that. I know, I had to look it up. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've written them all down in yeah. an envelope. I think yeah. a very high-tech system that we have. As always in the press gallery, yes. Yeah, putting toonies in an envelope. You're the only writing. one who's paid, so I mean, reminder <laughs> to the press gallery, give me your toonie if you no haven't yet. No one else has paid yet? Oh, yeah. man. Whoever does win is not going to get much of a windfall if it's just my tune. Exactly. Journalists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Journalists are the worst. Give them a deadline or they won't give you any money at all. Um, <laughs> let's move over to the latest in political intrigue and scandal. Isn't that this whole show every week is the latest in <laughs> intrigue and political <laughs> scandal? That is that is a solid point, Breck. <laughs> but there are a few things that happened this week. Should we start with Strankman? Yeah, okay, sure. Let's start sure. with Strankman. Um, so because you spoke with him, right? Yes. Yeah, so UCP MLA or former UCP MLA um, Rick Strankman now has decided to sit as an independent, and I spoke to him about why. He basically sent a letter to the speaker that outlined some of his concerns. They included. Um, things like he said that the UCP was um, supporting an undemocratic atmosphere, um, it talked about issues that he sees with grassroots and that people actually aren't having a grassroots um, input into UCP policy or, or UCP discussions. Um, and then we did talk a little bit about the nomination process that he lost in September. Um, and he said that he felt like it was somewhat unfair because the nomination process was called during harvest season. And um, so he said it meant that a lot of farmers uh, couldn't actually come out to vote for him. And, you know, as someone who is supported a lot by farmers because he was a farmer himself for four decades, um, he said that might have affected the nomination process, which led to kind of some columnists saying maybe it was a bit of sour grapes on his part. But when I talked to him, he repeatedly said, there's no malice in what I'm doing. I really believe that I need to take a stand by sitting as an independent. Um, and he hasn't ruled out whether or not he'll run in the election, but, you know, hasn't made that decision yet. Well, let's not forget, Rick Strangman went to jail, right? Something about the, right. about about the, the Canadian wheat monopoly, yeah. wheat board monopoly. And, yeah. like, Rick Strangman 
he's been on the front bench of the UCP. I mean, this isn't some guy who was relegated to the back benches to kind of sit there quietly and bugger off. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been on the front bench the whole time. Yeah, he's been on the front bench, but he's still been kind of quiet. I mean, this is not, yeah, not a guy that they put in front of the media very often. Uh, he's not asking a lot of questions in question period. I mean, yes, he does get a place on the front bench, probably because he was one of the original Wild Rose members, was one of those that did not cross the floor when Daniel Smith and the rest did. Uh, but I don't think they would rank him as one of their higher performing MLAs. Uh, so I'm not sure how big of a loss it really is for Jason Kenny at this point. I found his letter actually kind of interesting in itself, the way it was written. And I, I will explain this with um, sometimes Rick Strankman will send me emails and sign them off saying, later, Stranks, which I really enjoy <laughs> when he does that. But he, he kind of like, in 2012, when I took the oath of office, I insist on adding the words, and all Al Burtons. And he kind of did a lot of bolding in his letter. So he said his intention then, as now, is to uphold that oath and continue to do so to do what's best for the constituents of Drumheller-Stetler and the people of Alberta. Since the amalgamation of the Wild Rose and progressive, now progressive is bolded, conservative parties, it is becoming increasingly clear to me this is not including the grassroots principles of strong conservative Albertan values. The hyper-partisan, self-centred politics we see at play again today in Alberta has degenerated the direct grassroots representation of Albertans to a point where their best interests are being put behind unwritten party interests. I mean, it's very convenient now for him to turn around and launch a broadside on the UCP since he lost his the nomination fight. And I know that that is where all the allegations of sour grapes come in. Would he have said any of this had he won the nomination? Would he have pushed back against the party had he won the nomination. It's a question that we can't answer now because the reality is what it is, but it does raise that bit of doubt. I think, and we'll get to some of the other uh, scandals or chicanery or all of that in a second. I think that some of the, the other people who have raised concerns may actually be standing on firmer ground because of the positions that they're already in, whereas Strankman, it leaves that doubt. Even if he feels all that fully clear eyes, full hearts to hate the UCP now, like, there's that bit of doubt. The UCP response as well to Strankman um, deciding to sit as an independent was interesting. They basically pointed out that he lost the nomination and then said, you know, thank you for your service. That was the statement from Jason Kenney. Thank you for your service. I always looked up to him for the stance he took on the Canadian wheat board monopoly. So, yeah, it was a very kind of like nothing response to the fact that one of your MLAs is jumping ship. Yeah. Well, he was beaten by Nate Horner, I right. think. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of the Doug Horner uh, and clan. Uh, Horner, oh. Horner clan, the from uh, <laughs> those well-known Horners in what Alberta politics. What does look like, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> Let's move over to another bit of political intrigue. Prab Gill, um, former UCPer as well. Now he was turfed out of the party, or rather, I suppose, told <laughs> either you jump or we kick you out, kind of thing. So he um, he left after a ballot stuffing scandal. Um, He's creating a lot of interesting news. He sure is. He sure is. It used to be this Derek, you could count on Derek Fildebrand to be the gift that keeps on giving. Now it seems to be Prab Gill. Mm-hmm. Um, but he got up during the full session, used a point of privilege to basically have a giant go at the UCP, saying that they were, you know, corrupt cronyism and racism and that kind of thing in the nomination races. He sent an email, so he's no longer part of the UCP caucus, but he sent an email this week um, on Wednesday afternoon to UCP MLAs, all of them, 
calling on them to do the right thing and push Jason Kenney to clear the air with the amount of scandals that keep up kind of piling up around the UCP in terms of nominations and, of course, the Jeff Calloway kerfuffle around whether or not he was a kamikaze leadership candidate during the leadership race against Brian Jean. So Rob Gill said basically that particularly those of you who are not running, so, for example, your Wayne Drysdales, your... Um, Pat Pat Steers of the world. He actually named them in the email saying, particularly you guys, quote, Jason Kenney can't hurt you now, uh, end quote. So go and push him to do the right thing and clear the air with all these scandals because if you don't, it's going to bite us in the ass during the election. I'm paraphrasing. That's not what he said. But he basically said the NDP isn't jumping on this as much as I thought that they would. And I worry that they're going to bring all this up at a really hot flashpoint during the election and then we're all going to be screwed and then the NDP will win and then you've got to explain that to our Burtons. Now, I don't think that will happen uh, necessarily, but what was your reaction, Dave, when you heard Because I know I sent you this email at like 9 o'clock at night. Yeah, I just Saying, do you want me to do something now? <laughs> I just left my son's hockey game and I saw it and I just I shook my head and thought, oh, prab. Uh, this is just another twist in this weird saga that has kind of gone around him since that strange riding association board meeting yep. uh, last year. This is kind of what I was referring to when we were talking about Strankman is that Prab Gill has nothing to lose here. And the, I know that he raised it as a point of privilege in the legislature previously issues with the party. But the fact that he's going to his caucus colleagues, former colleagues and not to say the media, we obtained a copy of this email. And for the record, he was pissed off that it that it got leaked. He yeah. had he didn't do it. And when I called him, he was like, "How did you get that?" And he said about three or four times, "I'm pissed. Yeah. I can't believe that got out. Like I had no intentions." He sounded yeah. like legit annoyed. So the fact that the, he's going that route, I think, gives some credence to the notion that there are problems bubbling under the surface of the party that. Uh, the leader and supporters of the party would like us not to pay attention to. And could that flare up during the election? Possibly, but it's a matter of whether or not Albertans care about internal party workings as opposed to getting rid of the NDP as for UCP supporters, right? So, totally. it, you know, it's it's troubling. And as I say, the fact that he has nothing to lose and he took this directly to his former caucus colleagues, I think lends credence to his concerns. With that issue of whether or not UCP supporters will care about all of these scandals going on, and Prab Gill did say also in his email, uh, there are more scandals coming. Um, he had an hour and a half interview with the election commissioner investigators and said the amount of detail, he told me that the amount of detail that they knew was completely insane. They knew stuff he didn't know. So basically he said there's so much more coming here and he worries for his former party because he said, I'm still a conservative and I don't want the NDP to win again. I would rather the UCP win, even given his history with the party. But yeah, it's been... um. It was kind of a strange thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that is the other thing you said is there are more scandals to come. And so what, what he was referring to there, I have no idea. Um, it, it is starting to add up a little bit for Jason Kenney, right? All these folks coming forward with these 
these thoughts that uh, there are some issues with the nomination process, uh, accusing Kenny of a kind of a dictatorial leadership style when he was supposed to have the grassroots guarantee. We all, we all remember that. But a lot of these complaints, that, uh, Dave's right, they are coming from uh, sort of a common theme of people who have been ousted from the party one way or another. Um, we, we have Prab Gill, who is, you know, allegations of ballot stuffing, had to leave the caucus. Derek Vildebrandt, with a variety of bad behavior, had to leave the caucus. Uh, who He's made allegations as well, as well about Kenny. Rick Strankman lost his nomination. Uh, there was Wayne Anderson in Highwood. He lost his nomination. He's upset with the nomination process. Ian Donovan, who I spoke with over the weekend? Well, Ian Donovan's the exception because he is, as far as we know, do not he does not have any candidacy aspirations, right? No. He was a board member in Cardston, and he's coming forward with complaints about uh, a dictatorial leadership style. So his he doesn't have anything necessarily to lose or any sour grapes necessarily there. And he's a former MLA. He too. is a former MLA, both Wild Rose and PC. There were those 17 uh, constituency members in Calgary Falcon Ridge mm-hmm. uh, who have left the party, but they were associated with a candidate who was ousted as well. Um, so it, it it is starting to add up, but there is kind of a common theme there, and th- these are these are people that that do have a bit of an axe to grind. Doesn't mean their allegations are wrong, and the volume of them is certainly concerning at this point, or should mm-hmm. be for Jason Kenney. But I think we ne- we need to keep that context in mind. And the UCP has said repeatedly, well, you know, they're tense nominations, they're contested nominations. But the truth is, after so many complaints being brought forward that line does start to feel a bit old. Um, And I think it'll be interesting to see what the election commissioner makes all of this because people have been making formal complaints. We don't know necessarily what the elections commissioner is investigating, but presumably they're looking into a lot of these issues that have been brought up. Yeah, because the elections commissioner too um, does not tell you whether or not he's looking into something or is not looking into something. Just like the privacy commissioner, just like the ethics commissioner, they refuse to tell you what they're looking into until they've finished their investigation and decided one way or another exactly what the outcome is. So we can't confirm um, what the election commission is looking into. I mean, people can send us their letters that they've sent to the election commissioner, but that's about as far as we can kind of dig into it until things get resolved or the commissioner makes some kind of judgment one way or another. So speaking of the election commissioner, another letter he got from Calgary Northeast, the NDP. I think there were like 140 people signed a petition saying that there was shenanigans going on with the identification requirements down in Calgary Northeast. Um, I spoke with a bloke there yesterday, Indipreet Gill. He was supporting the defeated candidate. So again, we've got this kind of like, how are these people often linked to some of the um, defeated candidates? Um, her name is Prut Rye and I also spoke with her and she said, look, fair enough. Like, um, I, I see that sour grapes argument, but I don't have anything against the person who won. I don't even want them to like nullify this contest. What they need to look at is what's happening with identification requirements because if that gets repeated, you have the chance of people hijacking elections or hijacking nominations, which they're then plays into this whole, then you're kind of fiddling around with the elections. Yeah, I think from your story, the, it looked like, uh, you know, they were, they were somebody spotted at least two people who were known not to live in the riding. Yeah. Uh, there were allegations that uh, some of the addresses people gave, there was like 15 from one house and, yeah. and 12 from another house. Which and seemed, none of them lived there when they knocked on the door. Exactly right. So, I mean, these are all allegations. Uh, the party has basically denied it though, right? They basically said, we've gone with the, the recommendation 
recommendations, the, the identity recommendations put forward by Elections Alberta. Even if there was a little bit of foolishness here, it's not enough to overturn the results. Yeah. So we're not too concerned about it, right? That was, that was Rachel Notley, exactly what she said. It is funny. All through the UCP nomination battles where there's been concerns about how the race was run, NDP supporters, on, especially on social media, would love to point out how the UCP can't get their act together. They're running dirty campaigns. And we don't have those sort of problems in the NDP, partly because they don't run have open nominations. In a lot of these cases, the candidates are being appointed by the party to run, or it's a single person in one riding. And now that we have an open nomination, lo and behold, there's problems with the vote or alleged problems with the vote. But then look at St. Albert, right? You had Trevor Horn against Marie Renault. They're both for, they're both current yeah. MLAs. They both wanted to win that nomination. Yeah. And then when Trevor Horn lost, he went he put up a statement going, Oh, you know what? Never mind. Thanks guys. Hey, I'm supposed throwing my support behind Marie Renault. He hasn't come around and and torched the bridges with the NDP. In the UCP, not all nomination races result in scandal either like well. it's not a, true, something yeah. that happens in every case but hey it can happen in any party so before ndp supporters act all pious about how their party does things wait until you hold more nomination contests it is it is a funny point because i, I i'm as far as i'm aware that there's been two contested nominations of the ndp there may be more but we are only aware of two at this point and guess what? One half of those, one out of the two, has had an issue. So the UCP does fifty percent of NDP uh, yes. nominations <laughs> exactly. result in scandal. So the UCP doesn't <laughs> doesn't have that ratio. I mean, it's it's not a good number for the UCP, but it's not half of them. And we should say as well that the NDP are way behind in terms of picking their candidates. So they're the ones that we still have a lot of legwork to see happen um, as they appoint people. Because the Alberta Party and UCP are way ahead. Yeah. Didn't Rory Richardson, the provincial secretary for the NDP, tell you, Keith, that it was because they're vetting everyone super duper closely? Is that the reason? Or? That That's the official reason, given that they're just being very, very thorough because they, they do not want to see a lot of the issues that uh, have come out about some of the uh, the UCP people who have come forward. So, yes, they are convenient. taking... Convenient. <laughs> so they, they are taking their time to, to extremely vet people and make sure they're not going to cause problems. Um We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, that's the official reason. Maybe there's more going on. Uh, there's certainly rumors that they are having trouble recruiting good people, uh, especially in Calgary, where the polls have not been kind recently. But uh, we'll see. The outcome anyway in Calgary Northeast, by the way. So they sent a letter to um, the election commissioner and they got a letter back on Thursday saying yesterday, just after I was having a chat with Indapreet, he called me back and said, oh, I just got an email from the election commissioner. Um, they're not going to look into it because his office doesn't cover this kind of thing. It's only for elections, not nomination things that are kind of within the party. So it looks like they're not going to be looking into it either. The party's not looking into it. So they're having a meeting this weekend to talk about it, like a rights for democracy uh, meeting is what he's calling it, um, to kind of protest the party not looking into this. He's actually an interesting dude. He came out from India in 2005 and he said to me, um, he's like, look, all this kind of nonsense used to go on all the time back in India and I came to Canada to make a fresh start and now it's happening here as well. This is absolute nonsense. So he actually felt personally slighted by the whole thing and said he was personally disappointed in Rachel Notley. So it doesn't look like a lot's coming out of it, but... Politicians will disappoint all of you at some point in yes. your lives. <laughs> You know, don't hang your hopes on them. <laughs> <laughs> Says a cynic. Wow. <laughs> yeah. um, and just finally, Eric Rosendahl, of course, um, MLA for somewhere or other. West Yellowhead. Thank well you, done, Keith. Keith. This is the first time I've heard his name since 2015. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Eric. I've only written, I've only spoken with him once for a story, and it was about um, he was working to. Uh, 
what was it, cancel property taxes for Legion Halls. That's the only thing um, that he's done. Anyway, Clancy, you were following this story yesterday, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, Eric Rosendahl um, has basically been accused by a former staff member in his uh, former constituency assistant um, that he bullied her into spending her own time and money on um, pre-election uh, campaigning to, you know, efforts to get him re-elected, uh, whereas that's very much against the rules because constituency staff members um, are not supposed to spend their time and money during work hours on uh, party issues. What's interesting is that uh, Premier Rachel Notley was asked about this yesterday at a news conference, and she said, uh, well, a lot of people that work in constituency associations are also volunteers for the party. So we've looked at kind of the allegations and seem to say that it really didn't seem like it was an issue. Uh, Keith was at that news conference as well. That's kind of like a very, it's a very uh, convoluted story. So I'm trying to kind of just yeah. sum up what was going on. Yeah, I, I, I found Rachel Notley's response to that was was rather weak. In fact, I, I, she seemed uh, very much on the defensive, didn't exactly know how to answer, was kind of stumbling over her words a little bit um, on, on some of the questions, um, which wasn't a great look for her and it's an unusual look for her. Uh, in this case, she's essentially, her defense is that um, this the woman who came forward to allege these against Eric, uh, these these things against Eric Rosendahl, uh, you know, she was well aware that these were. Um, uh, she had been told by caucus that this was not to happen. That caucus had been very clear that these were the rules that no partisan activities could be done uh, on work time by by constituency staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said that she was not aware that the public interest commissioner had launched an investigation. No one had contacted her or the caucus, uh, and that she had assigned somebody's people to talk to Eric Rosendahl. But but honestly, she didn't see it as much of a concern at this point. So, yeah, and I think what's interesting is media, including myself, we've reached out to Eric Rosendahl to talk to him specifically about what these allegations are. One of his assistants at his constituency association um, told me that he wasn't going to be commenting to media, um, which is frustrating because without an open line of communication with the person who is kind of trying to defend these actions, yeah, um, it's really difficult to know exactly what went on. Rachel Notley seemed to imply that he's denying it altogether. Well, it'd be great to she hear said that from him, wouldn't it? Yeah, and although she did say she hasn't talked to him directly yet, it um, looks bad. If yeah. it, it does, like if you want to, yeah. if you want to defend yourself against these kind of accusations, like I don't know, maybe defend yourself against those kind of allegations. <laughs> Yeah. Now, uh, Dean Bennett from the Canadian Press tweeted the other day, uh, Rosendahl, quote, in a phone interview, refuses to discuss allegations. He pushed constituency staffer to do NDP party work, then fired her without cause. He calls it, quote, a personnel matter and says, quote, if you keep pushing, I'm going to hang up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Rosendahl, that's a... Bang up defense there, sir. <laughs> yes. Well, and if you look at the text message. Good interviewing, message, Dean. <laughs> yeah, yeah interviewing. shout out to Dean Bennett there. No, you can story. almost imagine, those of us who know Dean Bennett, you can imagine how that interview went. But uh, <laughs> um, so, hi, Dean. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but if you've seen the text messages that have been released as, as sort of the evidence uh, that, that Eric Rosendahl had uh, had pushed his his assistant to to do partisan activities, uh, it. I mean, we haven't seen the full context of it, but the, the people that is there looks very much to me like an MLA who 
probably doesn't understand that his constituency staff is not allowed to do this kind of work. Yep. And that that was my take on it. Not necessarily that he was trying to do something illegal, but just didn't get it. Also and that he doesn't understand how text messages work, because they're like all in caps and every single one of them had like a space and then three exclamation marks when it was things like, Excellent, I'll see you at nine. Does he <laughs> sign off everyone with his name? Most of them, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Right. And that, you know, if, that, if that's the case, that does sort of go against what Notley was saying about how clear the caucus has been to its MLAs and its staff members that, you know, partisan activities can't take place at, at a constituency office. So, it, it and the other thing about Notley, she just seemed so reluctant, so... Uh, uninterested in giving Eric Rosendahl a call herself or to have somebody check into this. She did not seem to be taking it seriously at all. Uh, It just surprised me. I thought there would be a different reaction there. Yeah, especially with everything that's happened with the UCP, you thought you'd think that the NDP would be prepared better to better answer questions when they're raised about their candidates or their and, MLAs. And in fairness, I mean, this isn't a star NDP MLA either, no. so it's interesting. Very, that very much backbench, right? Also, also in fairness, this sort of thing probably happened a lot in the former Tory government at some point. I'm sure, like the lines, I imagine were very much blurred under the PCs. I, you know, not that people were doing it on. Uh, doing partisan activities on on government time or constituency time, but you know you get people working in your constituency constituency office who are full bore supporters of the party. Yeah, that some of those lines may get blurred. And I know that the Tory government was also criticized for doing um, partisan type activities uh, on government time, uh, making hospital announcements and whatnot when they were like also doing camp, uh, party events in, was it Grand Prairie, Keith? Do you remember that story specifically? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it was the PCs that had gone up to uh, Grand Prairie to do a, a fundraiser of some sort. Uh, Pre- Premier Redford was, uh, was speaking there. Um, and, uh, yeah, they essentially, uh, they put out a, uh, a press release at the same time for the, for the hospital, one of many <laughs> press releases as it turned out over the hospital, but uh, yeah, it was not a uh, it was not specifically a, um, a government event. It was a leadership event. Mm-hmm. Clancy, you have to go and interview Rachel yes, Notley right now. I'm going to go head out or something. Yeah, but have fun. I enjoy the rest of the podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Apparently, I'm pronouncing that like an Australian. It's Atchison. Atchison is that right, Keith? That is correct. Atchison. Some kind of steel thing going on. Yeah, it's an industrial area. All kinds of stuff going on out there. There you go. So uh, very, very, very briefly here, finally, we will take a look at some privacy commissioner goings on. Now, Keith, I know that you did a very long column about this this week. No, it was regular length. This was is the same, same length as always. It just it seemed longer. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm not sure you... if that's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> maybe because maybe it really was like a bee in your bonnet about the It was thing. a bit, yeah. So basically, the privacy commissioner, there are a lot of issues here. Um what was the one that particularly tickled your fancy that you wrote a your column about this week? <laughs> well, I, I've just been concerned about the state of the FOIP system generally. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, the, things taking longer, um, the government uh, refusing to reply to people, uh, long timelines. Um, the, there's a, a certain amount of dysfunction. So it's underfunding of, of the FOIP system, not enough FOIP coordinators. Um, the privacy commissioner's office underfunded as well. So if you have to make an appeal to the privacy commissioner, uh, if you if you don't get the records you want, that can take months, if not years. Uh, the fact that the government is uh, claiming a lot of solicitor-client privilege to deny records, and they won't let the privacy commissioner's office review those those records. Such uh, a sketchy way around it. It, isn't it, it is right. So you go to court, and they know that 
it's going to take years and so that people will give up uh, in their FOIP requests uh, if they if they uh, if they deny it long enough or or, uh, or claim solicitor client privilege or any number of other things that are difficult for people to to get around so that was my that was my main issue I, I think this has been a, a real disappointment from the NDP government that they haven't fixed this system and I think perhaps if they become an opposition party soon, they're going to wish they had the chance or they took the chance to fix it when they when they had that chance. As an aside, I did a story out of um, I know that you'd spoken with the privacy commissioner and kind of sent me some of um, her quotes, particularly when it comes to privacy around political parties, because as it stands in Alberta, if you give your information to a political party, so you sign a petition, you, you know, become a member of the party, you in some way provide them with your details. Political parties, unlike the private sector or the public sector can do whatever the hell they want with your information. They can sell it, they can sell it on, they can give it to whoever they want, and you have absolutely no way of finding out where your information is going, who has it, or what they're doing with it. They can sell it and make money from it, and they're not governed by any privacy laws. Now, this was raised by Jill Clayton, the Privacy Commissioner, last year, and her colleagues from across the country. But when I asked the government about it back then when I did a story months and months ago, they went, no, 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 it's not something we're looking into. But this, it sounds like now they actually are because the statement I got, they wouldn't give me Brian Malkinson to talk with, who's the Service Alberta Minister who would be in charge of this. But they said in a statement that it's something that they are considering. Now, they're going to, I don't know, they're not going to be able to make any changes before the election. And there's not a lot of political will for this. Why would there be, right? If you can get people's details and there's no rules and no laws that say what you have to do with it, why would you bother changing it, I guess? Yeah. But it's it, sketchy, man. Like it, it is a concern. I think there is going to have to be some sort of scandal where, you know, people's information was proven to be misused in some way before the government will decide to act on this. Yeah. And when you talk about organizations who have routinely had uh, data breaches and data stolen. Uh, wasn't it a, a UCP computer up Fort McMurray Way just recently yep. got stolen from a car with a bunch of yep. membership information on and it? And a, a Wildrose computer got stolen. Yeah. Uh, do you remember that? Like a couple of years ago, Wild, someone broke into the Wildrose office and nicked one of their computers that had a whole bunch of info yeah. on it too. I mean, that's, I know there's separate issues, but I would want some control over how they can use our information. I don't trust them you know, I'm, the government is hard to trust alone, let alone political parties. That's I mean, you said you said earlier, you know, don't trust politicians, kids. They're going to let you down. Yep. <laughs> Your heroes will only let you down. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we have read or seen or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy. Uh, Keith, do you want to start us off, mate? Yeah, sure. Uh, I've got uh, a story uh, posted on... Uh, well, it's a it's a publication I'm not aware of. It's called Outside, and they deal with all kinds of things that go on outside, adventuring. And <laughs> um, anyway, I, I found this through long reads, but uh, it's a story called The Egg Thief uh, by a guy named Joshua Hammer, and it, it talks about the illegal wildlife trade uh, and some of the uh, crazy things that people do to smuggle endangered species, threatened species from all around the world back to the United States and Europe and, and other places. Uh, and in particular, uh, 
uh, it starts off with a story about a, a guy who had stolen a whole bunch of peregrine falcon eggs from from England and was trying to transport them on the plane and and was caught uh, and uh, he, he tried to tape the eggs to his abdomen uh, and hide it that way um, so just just kind of a really fascinating read uh, it's it's amazing to me uh, the value of this illegal wildlife trade and, and uh, what people do to uh, to, to try and make money th- from this. Uh, quite incredible. That's depressing. I'm going to recommend something depressing as well. It's actually a really good book. It's called Midnight's Furies, The Deadly Legacy of India's Petition. I'm heading to India next week. So I, I, I like to read up a little bit about, about the history of places in which I'm going. So it's basically about kind of the lead up to partition um, before uh, the English left India, what happened with the Pakistan border, and just the absolute atrocities that were committed um, on both sides you had Hindus slaughtering Muslims, Muslims slaughtering Sikhs, Sikhs slaughtering Muslims, Muslims slaughtering Hindus, Hindus slaughtering Muslims. It was just an absolute bloodbath in India, um, kind of in the late 40s there. And it's a really, really great book, incredibly researched. And um, if you're into reading a little bit about the history of India at a particularly um, bloody time, I highly recommend it. Dave. I'm also going to recommend a book. Uh, it's a book by first-time author Nico Walker. Nico is a U.S former U.S. Army medic who did 200 tours, uh, 200 missions, sorry, 200 combat missions during a tour in Afghanistan. After he came back, he was suffering from PTSD and depression, um, managed to become addicted to heroin. And then in order to fuel his heroin habit, he started robbing banks. He robbed 10 what? banks in a span of four months and then got caught. And he's, uh, sir, he was sentenced to an 11-year sentence uh, in, uh, in 2012 after pleading guilty. His first book, it's a novel, it's a semi-autobiographical novel about an unnamed U.S. Army medic who comes back from Iraq and has PTSD and is robbing banks to support his heroin addiction. Um, it's it's written in a very sparse uh, writing style. It's it, I found it really interesting, but it, it goes through his kind of aimless life before he joins the army and then is in Iraq and then he comes back and then he, like his life starts kind of falling apart. Um, it's I, very interesting read, and I think it kind of gives you a look at what um, PTSD can do to a person and also what uh, opioid addiction can do to a person. It's a really good book. Oh, sounds interesting. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Keith Durine, Dave Breckenridge, Claire Clancy, who's gone to talk to Rachel Notley. Uh, we'll be back again this time next week for more Press Gallery. Of course, we have the Press Gallery interview coming up on Wednesday. Yes. Who is it, Keith? We have uh, Edmonton Riverbend MP Matt Jenneru. Oh, because we had, what was our last federal one? That would have been Amarjeet Sohi. Amarjeet Sohi. So Matt is uh, federal politician number two. Mm. I, I don't think he likes to be referred to that way, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> that, but that's, that's the number. So do subscribe so you can get all of the latest episodes of the Press Gallery right to your device. That does include the Press Gallery that we do here every Friday and also the Press Gallery interview that comes out, generally speaking, on a Wednesday. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you happen to podcast. And as always, any questions, comments or concerns, do get in touch with me. You can shoot me an email, egraney at postmedia.com or you can find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Shout out to Dave Jorgensen who sent me a photo of his dog. I'm going to show it to you guys afterwards. It's such a cute, fluffy dog. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Dave, for listening. And thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back again this time next week for more Press Gallery.